Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Bees Analytical Podcast. I'm joined again, once again, by Alfie and James with me. And on this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the Tuesday and the Saturday fixtures, as well as the controversial decisions of VAR, who continues to rule in the Premier League. Later on in the episode, then, we'll take a look at the upcoming fixtures for the weekend and discuss our previews for them. But for now, hello, boys. How are we doing? Very good, thank you. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, well, not too bad. It's been quite a hectic week with two games already, so got a lot to get through and a lot to talk through. So, big talking point of the weekend, Wickham Wanderers potentially caught out on missing out on their first championship points. Have we had a chance to look at the incidents? Yeah, I watched it earlier. Um, wow. Is all I can say to that. Wow. I mean... You'd have to see it a bit closer. The Sky Sports highlight that I watched don't really zoom in on the incident, but it looks soft to me. Yeah, very, very, soft. very soft. See, this is where I'm going to come in and get absolutely pelters. And I think it was picked up on a quest. If you actually look at the thing itself, but as the ball's coming in, Scott Cashkit has held the keeper's glove around the defender and just pulls him slightly. You see his arm just pull out. As the ball's coming in, which, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. It depends on how hard he pulled him, you can't tell. But I think it was just enough to be a foul which impedes the goalkeeper. Because the minute you start pulling or shoving or stopping someone getting to the ball, I think you're kind of just playing with fire. And that little inch, I think, was just enough. I think if you watch yeah. it back in slow-mo, you, you just spot it. And I think it was Dean Holden pointed it out on Quest, which I think was, yeah... I think he's pretty accurate and I think it was just enough. I know Ainsworth was felt pretty hard done by and cheated out of it, but I think they probably got the result in the end. It'll be Dean Ashton that would have pointed that on the Dean Ashton not holding, but, um, he's, he's at Bristol, any. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think it's the kind of foul that VAR, VAR would give, but you'd like to think that the ref would give the attacking player the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's, it's one of those where I guess by the letter of the law, it's a foul, but it looked very, very soft from where I was sitting. Do you not think for protection of the keepers, though, you know, if you, you touch a keeper in the box, you know nine times out of ten that's given to you as a, given as a foul? Yeah, that's not right, though. That goalkeeper shouldn't have, you know, if he'd have pulled his arm with a reasonable force, he'd have got his arm out of it and probably saved it anyway. I don't think it's really made a great difference. But it's one of them wicking down at the bottom and nothing seems to be going their way, does it? Yeah, that rubber the green type thing. So yeah. No, yeah, it's an interesting one to pick up on. And I don't know who flagged it. It might have been the assistant or the ref. The yeah, was... the line So then again, you got a question: Have they seen that through a crowd of bodies? How much of it do they think it's impeded? Has the keeper then made a meal of it? I think there's definitely contact. If you go watch the video again and slow it down, you can see there is quite evidence that he's got his his glove and pulls it. It's just whether then, yeah, where do you draw the line of what's enough, what's not enough contact to deem a foul? Yeah, exactly that. It didn't look enough to me, but obviously the refs, more, you know, they're more in the know than I am and they obviously saw it was enough. But I'm mm. sure there's other occasions where it wouldn't be given and, and the goal would stand and who knows, Wickham could be uh, having their first points of the season. Yeah, you think? 
that could have been the difference between a point of stomach staying up. And if they go down by a point this season, you've got to look back at instances like this and yeah. you're feeling pretty hard done by that you've been cheated out of a potential point there. Yeah, but those top teams will get it and the bottom teams won't. It's just one of them. Well, we talk about those at the bottom. Someone like Derby has started the season incredibly poorly so far, only scoring two goals this season and conceding 10. After last last year's playoff run towards the back end of the season, there's a big surprise coming into it. They've massively struggled. What have we made of their start so far off? Oh, well, I've got to say I'm a little bit surprised by it. I thought they were building good things, but, you know, you can only go on what we've seen this season. What we've seen this season is not very positive for the Rams. I watched their game against Reading the first day of the season, and I, I, I mean, something big needs to change there. Whether that's the manager, whether the style, whether the formation, the tactics, something big needs to change because they were not at the races for the first day of the season. Yeah, it's worrying. And that's forms continued. It is certainly worrying if you're a Derby fan. Yeah, well, there's obviously murmurs going around that Wayne Rooney is potentially looking to take over. And I don't see... You've given the manager a plan. You've given him the time to build a squad. And you're only 18 months into it. To then bin it off... Also, all of a sudden and just say, right, we're done with it. You've got to bear in mind, they've lost quite a few key players in Bogle, Lowe, who we would sold to make ends meet this season. I think it would it'd just be harsh to get rid of him so soon in the season and when you've given that time to build something. Yes, he's had 18 months, but that's nothing in football. You've, so, having a look at their underlying numbers, not particularly positive, they're okay. Attacking wise, it's just woeful, but defensively, it's just not. It's not awful. It's, it's a tricky one for me. What, what are you making of it, James? Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I, I can't see them getting rid of Coffee this early. Um, they gambled eighteen months ago. He's had a lot of you know outside influences occur at the club that weren't down to him. When you look at last year with Keogh and, and Lawrence and you know, the, the drink-driving incident, that wasn't in his control. He's had a lot to deal with. Um, I think I think they'll stick with him. Mel Morris went on to talk sport last week and blatantly denied the rumours of Wayne Rooney, but of course he, was, he wouldn't come out there and say that, that Cocky is going to be sapped just yet. But I, I don't know, I, I think this weekend will be a big, big game. If they can beat Forest, you know, a big local derby, could get the momentum... When we say momentum, it's obviously difficult with no buzz and no crowd in the stadium. But if they can get three points on the board against their nearest nearest rivals, especially near the bottom of the table and all, then it could really be the the, the boost that they need. Obviously, there's no Rooney because he's had to uh, isolate despite testing negative for COVID, yeah. which will frustrate them. But no, I think things will turn around. A lot of their business was made later on in the season, so you've got to give them a bit more time to bed in. But um. No, they'll certainly be mid mid table, top half by the end of the season. I'm I'm quite confident about that. Hmm. We talk talk about there's a lot of good young nucleus there. You got Sibley, you got Bird coming through, but then you look beyond them. Lot there's not much else in terms of age. 
a lot of them are on the late sides of 30, your Andre Wisdoms, your Roonies. Is that a worry for them, that they just don't have the legs to keep up with the physicalness of the championship? The striker they bought in again is 34. He's not going to massively improve. Curtis Davis It's quite an old squad. Yes, you've got the few young players in there. But are they just not going to be able to compete at this level? Because, to be honest, physically Rooney's not there. Technically one of the best players, probably in the championship. Can probably still play Premier level. But physically he's not there anymore. You look at that, and are they going to get exploited by these teams that are quicker, younger, faster than them? And quite evidently, that's not working for them right now. If you look at Derby, they're, they're not an up and out team. They don't run, they're not a Barnsley under Struber where they'll press and press and press. They're a team that likes sitting on the ball, playing, you know, nice football on the floor. Very much like Yapstan when he was in charge of Reading, you let the ball do the work. So I don't really think running stats are going to be particularly, especially when Derby are on the ball. I don't think, I, I think a lot of it will be the ball doing the work. But I mean, when people say about age, you've then got experience, you know, they're, they're an experienced squad. Their midfield is the youngsters that will be doing most of the running, the likes of Supremeberg. Yeah. They've got, you know, they've got a, a, a very good young team, um, the under-18s and 23s. I think one of them won their youth um, divisions. So they've got good young players coming up and coming through, mixing that with the experience of Rooney and Wisdom and, and Jay Davis. No, I think there's a good structure and a good spine for that team. It's just not working out at the minute, but it'll take I a while. that's the key, what you're talking about, the experience in the ranks. It's They may not benefit so much from it this season with the lack of legs, but the experiences that Davis and Rooney can pass on to these young players coming through it's it has the hallmarks of being able to be very successful obviously we're not seeing it right now and that is concerning but the talent is there the experience is there it's just finding a way for that to work at this level you speak a bit on experience but how many of these players have been had their backs up against the wall in their career Rooney's played at the highest level for the all of his career, bar the last three, four. There's never um, really be stuff there, has there? When well, he's... yeah, Davis has been at Hull when he's been, I think he was relegated with Hull. And then, I can't remember where he went after that, but, you know, there is the experience there. It's just about, I mean, I thought he was immense on the game against Norwich, against Sky. He was, he was awesome in marshalling the defence and blocking out danger, and that will only benefit young centre-halves that play with him in training. Hmm. Certainly one to keep an eye on this season. One team though that did surprise people at the weekend, and especially from our predictions, was Barnsley. I stuck my neck out with a 1-0 win for them, but they came away with a point. Oh no, they got a point at home, sorry, to Bristol City, who currently sits second. Good result for them, considering the week they had had. They seemed like a team that has started to pick up a bit of form, getting into the groove of things with two draws on the bounce. Do we see them pulling away from this pack? Or I know we discussed them quite a bit last week, but do we look at them as maybe one to now get themselves up the table a little bit? Uh, look, the championship is all about momentum. Once you've got it, you've got to keep going with it. So, you know, if they can put themselves 10 points ahead, eight points ahead, you know, then you do fancy them. 
but it is all about momentum in the championship. And while it's good, you know, you've got to pick these points up. You really mm. do. Um, I don't know. It's still early days. The loss of the manager is still quite key for me. But, you know, mm-hmm. the way it's been going at the moment, it's more positive than negative. Yeah, I think the Stoke, they'll look at that and probably see that as points dropped after blowing a 2-0 lead, but again, away from home. There's, there's signs there. It's looking... I think Barnsley, again, are a team that will surprise people this year. I know we've mentioned it and that they don't really have the tools or the squad, but they, they're a team that, that can succeed. They're in a good system. They've got a good core of young players. And hopefully they can now keep building towards something. There's a lot of similarities between them and Brentford. They've taken a different approach to us, but there's a lot of good things to be a Barnsley fan. Yeah, we'll come on to you now, James. You're going to be chuffed with this one. Your man Chris Newton is undefeated in his first two games. Good win on Saturday, and another then hard-fought points picked up on Tuesday or Wednesday. What have you made of his start so far? Well, I mean, he couldn't really ask for, for a great deal more. Really, he's not had a great deal of time to work with the players. There's an incredibly bloated squad there. I think I saw somewhere there's almost forty players in that Forest squad. But you know, wow. if you're a manager at this level, it gets results, and you know, there's there's not bad players in that team. So all he's got to do really is, is pick a best eleven, and on their day, they should be good enough to beat a lot of the teams in this division. You don't go from fighting playoffs, and then you know you're not you're not a bad team the next year. It just didn't work under Namushi. but under Hutton, I'm sure it will work. And you know, another big big game Friday night against Derby if they pick up another decent result there. Three games unbeaten and the and that carries on rolling on. You say that, though, but you look at who they drew with on Tuesday as Rotherham. By all accounts, Forrest absolutely battered them, but couldn't break them down. From an analytical point of view, we're seeing that regression from last season where they massively overperformed to this season where they can't appear to hit a cow's arse with a banjo. I think we're going to see them falter a little bit. I don't think they're out the woods just yet. I think you. T- I think you were pretty right with your heating comments, and they look okay. They they just need the time, but that's a big game, especially down the bottom for the two teams to put with a statement of intent. But we'll come on to that a bit more le- later in the day. As we keep moving up the table, we have a look at someone like Coventry again, picking up some nice points. It's just about. I think a lot of these teams, and we'll probably repeat ourselves a lot, down this bottom end, if they can get points early look to get to the 50-point barrier as soon as they can, I think then you're looking at that and teams will be doing all right. Your, your Birmingham, your Coventrys, your Rotherhams, your Barnsleys, even Wickham down there, if they can string a run of results together and get clear of this bottom bit as soon as they can, I think it's just how quickly they can, really. Someone like Sheffield Wednesday obviously have had the points deducted so uh, always chasing their tail but there's only two spots in in theory this season if Wednesday continue to falter and splutter so well I mean you say that but they've started the season quite well if they didn't have the points deduction do we know where they'd be in the table two wins and two draws would sit them about 13 yeah 13th in the table at the moment Exactly the same record as Cardiff. Just, it's not bad, is it? 
It's the it's thing not. is, though, if the other team's got a leg up on them, that's the big thing. That's what I mean about your Barnsley's, your Coventry's, your Rotherham's. Get as many points through the door as early as you can. And as soon as you hit that 50 mark, I think you're pretty likely to be safe in the championship. I don't think you'll need to be. I think you'll need less than 50. It's an incredibly weak division this year. And I think that other than, I think Wickham will definitely take one spot. From what I've seen so far, it would take an awful lot for them to turn it around. That leaves two. If Sheffield Wednesday don't manage to turn their points to luxury around, that's two gone. It only leaves one left to spare between five or six, maybe seven, four teams. I think, I think there'll be a lot of teams this year that will be counting their blessings about the other teams that are in the division this year. What do you make you say it's a weak league? Is that because Redden's top of it, Bernie Chelts? Well, no, no. I just think there's a I think there's a big divide between the really good teams. I, I think Watford will probably walk the league relatively comfortably. And I think there's also one absolutely terrible team the boss. And I think it's close. Every, no, there's not, you know, between those, between top and 24th, everybody else, there's not a, a great deal between them. Everyone's, you know, pretty bang average division this year. And whoever goes up this year is really going to struggle in the Premier League next year because the gap this year seems to be even bigger. Hmm. Do you think that's COVID-induced or do you... It's just playing squads aren't as up to the levels they were? Yeah, potentially I think there's... In the Championship, there's a, a, there's a bit less money around so the teams can't, can't possibly buy in quality. I think fans not having them in the crowd and in the game makes a, a big difference. You know, the weaker teams can't rely on having a strong atmosphere to, to maybe make the extra man. It's literally your 11 against our 11, which would probably end up seeing more more results. Well, obviously more results for the stronger team. And then there's less outside influences. But then the, the, the three that came up this year didn't strike me as particularly, you know, it, it didn't leave me quaking in my boots at the, the, the chance of Reading facing them, I know that sound, might sound arrogant after how we've been the last few years, but there's nobody I really fear this year other than Watford, to be honest. No, I, I think it's a totally fair point. I, I totally agree with you on the the bigger teams with the better squads are going to rise because there's not a lot of people in this division that can challenge them financially. You've got a few exceptions to that rule, but how many teams are going to sacrifice their long-term stability just to end up finishing 10th or 11th on the cusp of the playoffs. I don't think there'll be many. If anyone did, it'd be Reading. <laughs> We've already seen the finances for them, but it's not pretty. But at the moment, they sit comfortably top after another four points picked up in the last week. How have you made it, as I know, as both of you as massive Reading fans, what have you made of the start so far for Paunovic? Go on, Alf, you take that one. Long may it continue, mate. Long may it continue. <laughs> Um, it's it's an interesting one. It really is. I feel, uh, as a football fan, and as a football, as a football player, and all that, I like the fact that we now have a plan B. We have a plan C. It's not just one way of playing, like it has been under previous managers for a long time now. Really, I I do like the fact that. There are different styles of play that we have played this season. We have been solid. We have been compact against Watford 
and hit them on the counter-attack. Or we have had more of the ball and created more chances and kept a bit more possession in other games of the season. I I like the fact that we have different styles of play. And, you know, it's one of the better squads we've had as well for him to work with. Mm-hmm. In terms of recruitment this year, I mean, we have lost a lot of players on freeze, but we needed that. We had such a big squad that now it's a squad of about 20 players. And I, I like the way he sounds in his interviews. He's, he always talks about players that aren't naturally playing in the first team squad, but are impressing him in training, are pushing starts for a start. And that's only going to raise the level in your first team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an but, interesting. Yeah, they're a conundrum for me, Redding, right now. The analytical side of me looks lit. And it's, I was explaining it the other night to someone. The big concern for Reading right now is the volume of shots. You have to shoot to score. There is no question about it. Reading currently, I think it's averaging about six shots a game, which is... Yeah, it's ridiculously low. But you look at the quality through XG per shot, you're fourth currently in the table for that, which is incredibly good. And I've said it before, there seems to be a system in place and I mentioned it over the summer with Pranovic and the way he played at Chicago Fire. There is a system to get up the ball into a certain area and to get the quote-unquote higher-quality chances. And you can see that with Redding. And I think for them, as the season goes on, as Pranovic gets his ideas across, it's only going to get better because the players adjust to it, they understand it a bit more, they know where they need to be, the rotations in and out. I think that's the big thing for me with Redding. The attacking side of the game is one of the easiest sides to coach. That's exactly it. Because you can build that system of, right, this is what we do in X position. If you watch some of Bielsa's sessions, they are incredible. Everything is choreographed. It's like a dance routine. It's If you play A moves here, B moves here, and C rotates there. And Paunovic gives that vibe of a man of detail. Chicago Fire, no, they weren't brilliant. And um, they lacked a superstar. But attacking-wise, there was a really good system there. And I think the longer he spends with Redding, and the more time he's given, it should work. The big, big challenge, though, I feel for Redding, though, when it starts hitting the fan and it's not going well, and Redding starts to struggle and falter a little bit, the board and the fans, they are the worst enemy at Redding, especially in the stadium when you've been there. They had the booing, yeah. the jeering... Stan got you to third in the league. I know it wasn't the most entertaining and you were incredibly lucky that season, but they were getting on his back and you were third. You don't get lucky over 46 games. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. We're not, right. that's, that's a whole other point of discussion. The league table lies, and but again, that is a complete different conversation topic. I think for Reading, that is their biggest issue this year. When it starts going to shit, and when you start winning five or six games, and you've got to trust the process, and especially the owners. But is it, is it an issue here with no fans? We're not going to do. We're going to get on with it. Yeah, I think that's the benefit for us. This is why it's such a great time for him to come in, because there are no fans, and like you say, you know, Reading fans are pretty cynical. They mm-hmm. are. If something's not going right, 
for whatever mm-hmm. reason, they get straight on the back of the manager and the fan and the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, without fans in the ground, you know, let's hope. Without setting the world alight, which which pleases me. We're we're grinding games out. So hopefully, yeah. when things do fully properly click, you know, if mm-hmm. it, if our results and performances when we're not playing very amazingly, when it does click and we start playing amazingly. I mean, blimey, we could blow some teams away. I think we're not defensively right now. No. That's what's the most positive for me. Yeah, we didn't touch on it there, but yeah, defensively, you've got the lowest XG, or second lowest, sorry, XG against in the league. Yes, you've massively overperformed, only conceding one so far, but then there's it'll even itself out, but to have that local chances against you. I think it's really good. There's positive signs there. I liked Poundovic in the summer. I thought he was a good appointment. He's seen it struck as a bloke, as a detailed bloke that knew how he wanted to play and knew what he wanted to do. So let's just see how it goes. I think certainly chances if Reading, especially without fans, like you said, the best coaches have the more time to coach. They have chances to give instructions and plays into Reading's favour this year. Still undefeated, still only conceded one goal and We'll see what happens, eh? That's just a <laughs> result breeds confidence. Mm-hmm. One big team, though, that did re- incredibly well over the last two days is Watford, who absolutely blew Blackburn away after finally not winning 1-0 for the first time. Watford, James, you mentioned it, do look like a big threat this season. They've got a good nucleus of a team there, and I think certainly ones to keep an eye on this season, aren't they? Well, they've just got a squad that's pretty unchanged from the Premier League, really. And I thought if they'd stuck with Pearson, I think they'd have stayed up anyway. But, you know, they were once again jumped the gun. Although it apparently is an issue with uh, Pearson himself, so maybe he dug himself a hole. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that, that they're up there. Um, some of the attacking quality they've got at this level is just unbelievable. And yeah, they had a good result against Blackburn, but you know, you can't knock Blackburn. They're up in the top six and they went out of the game with a lot of, of credit, especially from Watford fans saying they were the best team they've played this season. So mm. Blackburn, you know, Mowbray knows what he's doing. They've got a couple of years to build and I think they'll be there or thereabouts come the end of the season, which will be good. It'll be nice to see Blackburn back up there again. Hmm. I think he's certainly stuck their mouth where their money is, isn't they, this season. They've... They've recruited fairly well from the outside looking in. They've got a good nucleus of a side there. Armstrong looks like he's firing this season. Yeah, there's opportunity. Definitely agree for you. Lastly, on these weekend's fixtures, before we move on to our next topic, is someone, Bournemouth, quietly having a decent start to the season in my eyes. Yeah, they've drawn the last two, but currently sitting fourth in the league. We had much of a chance to watch them because... Again, they just seem there, you know? It's not a team that's set the world alight or blown teams away massively, but they're doing well. They're just okay. Steady eddies, that's what I'd go with. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really watched them, but again, you know, I know they've lost Callum Wilson, but they've still got Dominic Solanke. They've still got, you know, good players in that squad. Um, I'd probably put them second on squad quality behind Watford. I mm-hmm. think they've got better 
quality than Norwich. So, you know, I expect them to be up there. It's just, I think the key for them, get a decent-ish start, get the confidence back in the players. Because when you've been losing all your games in the Premier League, I don't care who you are, that affects you. It really does. And until you start getting back to winning ways, you know, that will stay with you. But yeah. now, draws, you know, they're not wins, but they're equally not losses. Yeah, it's like you said with Paunovic, isn't it? With winning, Breeze winning, but losing also, Breeze losing, and that changing that culture around to switch, to go from losing each week to, come on now, let's pick up the three points, certainly takes time for teams to adjust. Yeah. Right, we shall then move on to our next topic, which is everyone's favourite and currently has absolutely dominated the headlines again after Jordan Pickford's horror challenge on Van Dyke. VAR decided it was not deemed worthy of a red card or a review after looking at the incident. <sighs> yeah, we could do week by week, we could discuss what VAR's done, what VAR hasn't done. It's yeah. Let's get get your opening thoughts from you, James, because I'm sure we've all got an opinion on the matter. Yeah, I've never been a fan. Never been a fan of VAR. I think it was always a matter of time when it came in another league, so it would come in the Premier League. And now I think you know, VAR itself should help. I just think it's being done wrong. I don't think the, I don't think the ref goes over to the screen enough. I think he feels undermined whenever the. Whenever Stockley Park pulls something up, I think the ref needs to have the boss to, to go against what they're telling him and say, don't walk over the screen and say, no, that's how I saw it. I don't think it's a foul or it was a foul and, and give the decision himself. The Pickford one was and was a horrible tackle and one that would definitely be worthy of a red card in my in my estimations. I mean, it was a the reaction from Liverpool slightly over the top with the whole uh, thoughts for Van Dyke. Um, thing they've set up with uh, you know sending messages of support. He's not the first player that's got a bad injury, but you know it was a naughty tackle that, that should have been punished and wasn't. Yeah, I don't think anyone disputes the fact that the Pickford's challenge was just yeah horrendous challenge. Don't think it was malicious. No player goes out to hurt another player, but just an, a silly mistake from Pickford to jump out at him like that and. Van Dyke is very fortunate it wasn't his leg that was also snapped. You mentioned about that whole thoughts for Van Dyke, but you look at City when Gundwin was out for a while, they all wear shirts with his name on. And Van Dyke is Liverpool at the moment. He embodies everything that they are at a club at the moment. The Rolls Royce centre back, the role, it's just a next level. So it's going to be a massive loss for them. But yeah, Van Dyke was over the top as well. <laughs> I'm not saying that Van Dyke's wrong and white, right? I think they're both silly. But, um, you know, it's football, isn't it? So that's what it is. Mm. Alf, I know you've got some very strong opinions on VAR, and specifically, we've obviously looked at that Pickford incident under the microscope. As a whole, in this last year and a half in the Premier League, would we say it's been a success from your view? Look. I'm going to sound like a dinosaur here, but I'm a football purist and I want to enjoy goals when they go in. I don't want to be thinking, oh, that's going to get chalked off. I don't want to be looking at lines on TV to decide whether an attacker's big toe is offside and therefore gaining an advantage. I'm 
more in favour of training referees, training assistants more, giving that money that you're then paying, I think it's about 80 grand a week to have VAR in the stadium. It's honestly, it's ridiculous. Um, I would rather give that money to referees, training programmes, because at the end of the day, I think, I mean, I don't know the stats, but I remember reading an article and something like referees got 97, 98% of decisions right before VAR was introduced. And I think it's come down now because of VAR and because of the threat feeling undermined. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult Watching one. Championship, it just further backs my opinions up that VAR does take away from football as a spectacle. Who wants to be sat there for two minutes 30 while lines are drawn from the armpit of a player and the big toe of another player? That's not what football is. And, but unfortunately, you know, it's been introduced. Looks like it will probably stay. I don't agree with it. I don't really want it. If they can create a more streamlined, maybe it would be a better product. But for now, for me, it's ruining football. Do you not think, though, like we opened the discussion with at Wickham, that would have gone under our review and from our, from where I'm looking at, probably been overturned as they would have deemed not enough contact. Do you think then we miss things like that, where that's now cost Wickham potentially a place in the Championship if they get relegated oh. by a point? No, I don't, because VAR is so flimsy and people don't want to make decisions. It probably would have went down as, ah, oh, there's not enough to overturn a decision. I, I really don't like it. It... Football is not black and white. It works in cricket because cricket is black and white. It's a yes or no. Football is not yes or no. Hmm. Football is opinions of referees and opinions of the top people at the top level. You know, it's not a black or white system. Oh, and sorry. therefore, I don't think a black and white system can be introduced for something that is based on opinions. Offside is, though. Offside is, yeah, I agree. And I that is agree. probably the one positive to come out of VAR, that there are now no wrong offside decisions. But penalties and handballs, that's... Some of the calls are ridiculous. And some of the things that aren't overturned are ridiculous. If... Well, it's, the, um, it's the whole letter of the law against, you know, the spirit of the game. Back in the day, it would have been classes in the spirit of the game. You know, you make a mistake or you miss something. But now everybody's got to be absolutely correct all the time, which is why people want to keep looking over over the decisions. They, they equal out over time, and I just I just think it's silly. And the offside, yes, by the letter of the law, it is offside. But do we really want to be calling strikers offside because their pinky toe is, is over the line? No, no one does. But that's just how it is. Technically, it is offside. So I can see where they're coming from. That's the thing with VAR is the scrutiny and then pressure on a referee continually for missed decisions. And we have that whole thing on Sky, Ref Watch, what decisions they missed and messed up. The scrutiny they're under, they need tools like VAR in order to cover them. It gives them an other, another tool in their armoury. I know it's been flawed and not worked perfectly in its current rule, but gives that protection to the referees to just write if you need to have a second look. Totally agree. Both of you made completely valid points of the current system doesn't fit the way football is. Football's a continuous flowing game and isn't stop-start or black and white. I totally agree. But 
if we take away VAR, the scrutiny is back on the referees. And when a ref makes a mistake, you've got the entire crowd channel up, the referee's a wanker. So you can't win. You can either appreciate, yes, people are human and make mistakes, or you can get pissed at a video ref, which I think is probably the lesser of two evils in this current instance. It's not like there's massive drop-off in the figures. It's not like decisions are being wrong 100% of the time or 50% of the time. It's still a very small instance. So it's that balance, you know. There's no right or wrong way, unfortunately, or no magical solution. I think we're just going to have to stick with it for the time being. And the more less scrutiny on referees, I think the better it is for the game. I don't think it's a coincidence that back in 2010, when this wasn't a discussion, we had the best referees in the world. Now you look at it, we didn't even send one to the World Cup. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's where the problem lies. It's not VAR. VAR is something to distract us. And, you know, I would argue ruin a game of football. Train referees better, get back to where we were, and get those 99% of decisions correct. Because as much as you say VAR equals itself out over the season, so does those refereeing decisions. I mean, I think, what was it? We were talking the other night, and you told me Liverpool had gained 11 points, was it, or something, from VAR decisions? Uh, it was Brighton that gained the Brighton, most. I think sorry. it was seven they gained from last season. I'll double-check my numbers, though. Brighton gained the most points. I mean... If you look back in 2010 and that, I bet the points gained by refereeing decisions is probably down at about four or five over a course of a season. Yeah, it's... I've got numbers here. Yeah, it was Brighton gained eight points, sorry, last season off the decisions of our... And then the worst team in the division was, or you missed out on the most number of points, was Norwich. So again, you look at someone like Norwich, who lost out seven points due to the VAR review. Well, they would have stood up on that, wouldn't they, in the end? Come look at the end of the table. So how can you look at that? And Especially as a Norwich fan, you'd feel incredibly cheated that you've been screwed over there, haven't you? By Matt, you, know, you sign up to it at the beginning of the season. You know that sort of thing can happen. They'd only, they'd only been moaning if a referee had given away two penalties in a pre-VAR that had gone against them. And then actually, if you look back, maybe they weren't, or they were, and they just said, oh, I'm going to You know, mm-hmm. people will always use whatever they can use in their favour to prove they're correct, whether that's VAR or no VAR. So. Mm-hmm. I know we've discussed it quite a bit, and the downsides to VAR, but what improvements do you think we can make to the system to try and get it to a level where... F- the common fan and us as pundits and podcasters that can be like, yeah, fair enough. That's a system that we can get behind. What would be you, your improvement that you would add? Getting out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be objective. Let's, we know full well FIFA are going to turn around and it will keep it will be kept because we won't want to fall behind other nations. I'm going to nail you to a post and you can give oh. us something objective train a core of five var referees train a core of five 
and let them make decisions. Because then if you have five people that train in the same way, you're most likely to get the most consistent results. So they don't officiate at all? They are just... Nope, they are VAR referees. Okay. Personally, I would get, I would like, this isn't necessarily the bar itself, but the FA is, you know, getting the ref to look at the screen more. I don't think I've been, I've not seen many games where the ref walks over to the screen, give the decision, you know, the referee, he keeps hiding behind VAR. The referee is there to referee the game. You go over and you make a decision. You're given extra screens, you're given extra angles. You should be able to make the decision yourself, otherwise you shouldn't be a referee. That, and I think there should be more leeway with offside. That's the offside rule. I think there should be a a given point because I, I don't think the, the toenail of a pinky counts as offside. Personally, I know people will say, "Well, but I let the law it is." I like to see a bit more, a bit more leeway and a bit more spirit of the game. But then you just create another line for them to. Yeah, I know, but I'd like to see a bit more of a bigger line. Do you not think, though, by having more people go to the monitors, you just slow the game down further? Instead of decision taking two, three minutes, you're now taking five, ten minutes for the ref to run over, set himself up. It's already set up, though. He's just got to look at it. And if he's already... If the game's already been stopped by VAR, it's not going to be a great deal longer for him to look over. I mean, in an ideal world, you get rid of VAR altogether. But, you know, that's never going to happen. Why not skip the middleman, then, and, and have it as a video referee? In a very similar system to rugby, where a a video assistant ref, who, if they cite something, they then go, oh, hang on, let me have a look at that. Oh, X, Y, and Z's happened. Right, penalty. You may award a penalty. Yeah. To to speed it up, because I don't get people's obsession with a monitor. It doesn't change anything. The amount of games that go on at the same time. Well, that's, again, it comes back to the issue of chicken and the egg. Is there enough qualified referees in our country? to manage that probably not because <laughs> if you look at the EFL they're all part-time they're not full-time referees you look at then the Premier League is the elite group so is there enough qualification in the referees and it will we'll take it full circle and talk about the way referees are treated in this country you get absolutely villainized if you do one wrong decision so who would want to be a referee why would you want to qualify to earn a very, very comfortable and very good salary. But for what? And get hounded each week by thirty to 40,000 people. Why would you? Get that it's not just a British problem. That's just a, a problem. It's, when you're there and you're taking something away from the fact from what the fans think is theirs, like a decision, then you're always going to get saved. You sign up for that as a referee. And that doesn't change the, the perception of wanting to be a ref. That's what I mean. Would any of us three in this chat want to go qualify and be a referee? I've quite been put my hand up and said, no, I'd rather do other things than get abused for my life. Didn't you do your refereeing course, Al? No, it's Jacob that did it. It's me. I'm I'm qualified. I've done my refereeing, but I packed it in. I didn't want to. I got abused and I was refereeing at under 15s, under 14s level. And parents were on your back and players calling you this and that. They're 14 yeah, year olds, yeah. 15 year olds. That's just people not being brought up right as a completely different subject away from people. But that's a football thing. Because you, you see it on the telly and the referee is a wanker. Oh, ref, you're, you're effing this, you're effing that. Why would you want to do it? 
there is no incentive as a young person coming through. Yes, you'll get a few, one or two exceptions to that rule, but you can't have all these qualified referees or make a referee recruitment drive when the appeals of the job are. Well, how do you how how do you change that? That this you know that you can't change the job. That's what the job is. No, in an ideal world, I think the culture of football in this country needs to change. Instead of, I know managers and coaches will always look, and players especially, will look for a reason for their poor performance instead of looking at themselves or they blame a ref or technology because it's easier. You deflect the blame it's psychologically. Why would you blame yourself when you can blame another person that can't answer you back? I think communication from referees needs to be. You see it in rugby where the ref is mic'd up. And you don't get, yes, you get a few instances, but the refs know they're recorded, no players can hear them, and everything they say is heard. I think, I think you have to change that. Record, get a ref to sit with a mic on, and then people can watch it back. I don't think you play it into stadiums like they do at rugby. I don't know, that, but you un you'd sit and listen, and you'd understand the thought process. You'd at least be able to then have that reasoning, okay, oh, fair enough, that's what they've seen from their point of view, that's why they've given it. But then Isn't surely subject to more abuse well no because i think it opens a communication up instead of this whole secrecy and mystery if but then you, you, might you won't reply back so you know there will still call referees wankers even if they explain their decision explain why it happened that won't start fans believing that he's wrong if you, I think there's a brilliant clip, and if anyone's got a chance that's listening to this, have a watch. The Australian football referee, I think you boys oh, have both seen it. Yeah. It's perfect. Yes, you get the... It works both ways, because the minute you understand the referee's thought process more, you instantly can look at that and go, ah, oh, fair enough. I don't think scrutiny should be as intense in the press. I think Sky <laughs> fuel that fire massively with that whole ref watch bollocks, and... Or we, we have to scrutinise each decision they've made without asking their opinion. Imagine if someone comes along and criticises your work without asking why you've done something, or understanding the why. It's just well, weird. It's an odd way to work. Try and defend referees, because obviously it was one. But again, why have you now wheeled out a former... Oh, who's it? Howard Webb? He does all the BT stuff. I just don't understand it. It's a boggling situation where you've got former ex-professionals criticising other current professionals for the way they've done something, despite knowing the thought process that they go through. Yeah, just... if you're wrong, you're wrong. The, the rules are, are there. Again, it's not black and white, is it? Football's not black and white. There is no right or wrong answer in most situations. Yeah, there are. And especially if a line is offside, if you're looking down the line and you don't give an offside right, then you should be told that you're doing it right. But then your point was making that there should be a margin of error and you should let the attacking team have the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, there's already a margin of error. I just want to make it a bit bigger. So it's not changing the rules massively. It's just moving it back a bit. So maybe a whole foot has to be. And if you're looking at VAR, VAR can see the whole foot. So then do you not make it harder for then referees in the flesh to spot that? Because you're looking at player's foot and not the ball. Yeah, how confident would you be if you say the middle of their head? How confident would you be as an assistant of flagging that compared to if he is off, like if his body is offside? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's pretty irrelevant when VAR are going to call it. 
Yeah, but then that takes more power away from the on-field officials, which I don't think is what Jake wants. Jake wants less um, people having a go at the refs, so they can all have a go at the Oh, I think there's a culture change is definitely needed in this country. And that first protocol is opening up communication between referees and fans so you can understand the thought process better instead of guessing what they've seen or why they've thought something. It does work well in rugby, though, I must admit. Yeah, and cricket. You can hear the on-field. And when they do the reviews and stuff, they talk through, oh, there's no nick there, oh, there's a spot here, or oh, actually it's come off his glove, and you can hear them talking through the idea and why they're doing it. Much easier rule. How many cricketers have been called for abusing an umpire? You'll find very little cases for it. There will obviously be, again, exceptions to the rule. But there's very few things in cricket where an umpire has been abused, especially by fans or even by players. It's all about communicating. That's mm. And football's got a long way to catch up. I think... Mate. You don't want to take that away. You don't want to make it even more middle class and cosmopolitan than it is. Are we going now? If we switch this into polit- politicals, bloody no. hell! <laughs> you don't want to make it any softer. But it's the reason why we all love football. You don't want to then take that away. Football's a release, and if you're going to shout at someone who gets paid to do it and who signs up to do it, knowing full work's going to happen, I don't see what the deal is really. Hmm. See, oh, see. VAR is a decisive. No, I, you make fair points, James, but no, I just don't agree with that. I don't think. And then again, the arguments for players. People abuse them and call them all sort of manner of names, opposition players. I think it's not a case of making football more refined. It's just a case of making the referees' life easier. And that's then when VAR can then start to be phased out. Because I'm t- I'm w- with both of you boys. I don't like it. I don't think it's working in its current form. So working towards being able to phase it out with, with better referees, with more qualifications to go through a pathway, I think is certainly more of a solution than the tools they currently have. That's what it comes down to. It's just training better refs and, and making... Have having more refs, but then that's a totally different matter. Is how do you get more refs? Exactly, like, chicken, the egg, and all that stuff in between, isn't it? It's not the most attractive of jobs to do. There, there'll always be some people out there that will do it, but you, mm-hmm. you should really have more, more to choose from. Or you know, rather than seeing the same faces, let's get some you know younger, fresher refs out there that you know looking to take over the baton when. You know, when um, Mike Dean leaves. Definitely. I think, right, we'll hold the VAR debate there because we could go round and we've covered off many strands of that debate. But we're going to go through now with our predictions. Hate to break it to you both, but you're currently lagging behind me with at least five points as I've got two flawless results for the weekend. Don't want to say that it's just because my football knowledge is beyond anything, but... There's a, there's a reason for why I'm on top. Lucky. <laughs> I'm like not tourist. I'm going to start well and then just tail off towards the end. <laughs> it's just going to be... Give it by the, by the 45th week, I'm going to be nosediving and I'm out of the playoffs. Right. 
but we're going to quickly breeze through these and go through our weekend predictions, all right? So first up is obviously the Friday night game, which is a massive game for both sides of Forest versus Derby. What are we predicting for this one? Go on, James. Oh, uh, I've gone 1-0 Forest. Oh, James, keep rolling on. Hang I'm on. Agree. Yeah, James. 1-0 Forest, yeah, both of you. Yeah, I 7-0 Derby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Derby are going to win. Wayne Rooney is going to come back from COVID and score 15. Uh, no, I was going to go for a ball draw here, 0-0 for me. I think both teams are lacking in confidence. But they'll both want to be looking to prove a point defensively. So that's for me. I think Hewton will definitely set up rather to get a point than to lose them. And Derby, any point here at the moment is good for them, considering how poorly they started the season. Now, next game of the early kickoff on the Saturday is the Battle of the Big Boys. We've both come down Watford versus Bournemouth, third versus fourth. It's got all hallmarks for a really good game. So I'm going to go have to go again 0 0. I know for well you, we hype it up like PPR, Bournemouth, all those goals in this one. And yeah, it's just going to, I think it will falter. I think it'll be a nervy affair between two teams that start the season pretty well. But defensively, I think they'll hold, hold each other out. I'm a. I'm agreeing with you on the outcome of a draw, but I'm actually going for a 1-0. One 1-0. -all. One -all. I'm going to go 2-1 Watford. 2-1 Watford. Favouring the home sides again this week, are we, James? Well, I just think Watford are a team that probably win the league. And I think they'll, they'll carry on. Fair enough. Now we move on to... Stoke versus Brentford, who last season ended at any our chance of an automatic promotion push after losing the the away fixture last season. Stoke again are at home for this one, and Brentford travelling away. Oh, I, I don't know. I see Michael O'Neill doing a number on us this time. I think Stoke will set up pretty defensively and be wanting to prove a point after having to come back from behind for Barnsley, so I'm going to go for a 2-1 Stoke here. I'm going to have to go against my boys, but yeah, I just think Stoke will have enough, and it'll be a, if Brentford can get a win here, I think it will be a massive psychological boost after the disappointment of last season against them. But I just, yeah, I can't see us getting enough off them this week, unfortunately. I'm going to go 2-1 Brentford. 2-1 Brentford, back-to-back -back away wins. That would be nice to start the season. I think Tony's got the momentum now. He'll just carry on. He's some player. Absolutely. He is a class act. Just next level, and I can't contain my excitement for him. Oh, 1-0 Brentford. 1-0 Brentford. Great. You know that whole saying, bet again, never bet on your own team. <laughs> I'm following that to the, to the hills. Right, next up we have bottom place Sheffield Wednesday versus Luton. Gary Monk obviously challenged them to get back to positive by the end of this week, which has been scuppered slightly after their defeat last night. Another three points here is another step closer to dragging themselves out the bottom. What do we think for this one, boys? Luton are a poor side. 
I don't think there's any hiding from that. No, oh, not keen on them. It's currently sat 12th in the league after three wins and three draws. I'm not keen on them, really. I don't... I, yeah, I'm... I, you know, they could surprise me. I'm not keen on them, personally. I'll go for a 1-0 a Sheffield Wednesday. Getting them to get to the, the negative, back to minus one, which would be a good point, a good result for them. Yeah, I've gone 2-1 Sheffield Wednesday. 2-1. It's interesting what you say about Luton. They came up last season were incredibly poor. Like, they were at Wickham's levels, and somehow Graham jo Nathan Jones, sorry, not Graham Jones, Nathan Jones came into the fold and turned the ship around and kept them up in the end. Started the season all right and got some good recruitment. I think they're a team that might surprise a few this year. I think they'll struggle in places, but for me, they've got enough, so I'm going to go for a 1-0 away win for Luton, and I think... Sheffield Wednesday's good start to the season might start coming undone a little bit. I hope so. I don't like Gary Monk. Oh, we we got any reason for that, or is it just Gary Monk? <laughs> no, he's always just been a finicky, especially when he's in charge of Leeds. Him and him and Yapstam and Reading, they never liked each other. Clash oh. a lot. Just comes across the power of them. I've seen. If we're going on a scale from Arsene Wenger to Neil Warnock of the level where we're putting him, where we're placing him on that scale. Well, in terms of what, well, how much we like him. Ah, look, we know your your opinions on Warnock. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll get more into him. <laughs> he's not. I don't hate him. I just dislike him. He's, he's just an alright bloke, is he? He's just alright. And two of the clubs he's left were in financial difficulty when he left him, so that doesn't help. No, the, yeah, the reports that have left him after leaving the clubs, but. Yeah, certainly interesting one, Mr. Monk. But much, yeah, we'll, we'll see how they go for the rest of the season. We'll let you two now slug this one out with your predictions for Reading hosting Rotherham. Reading looking to extend their streak at the top of the table and looking to keep up the defensive work. What are we put in this one for down two boys? One nil up. One nil a Reading. So. For me, it's just Rotherham have come up and again, that yo-yo team. But I really like Paul Warner. I think he's done a really good job to keep the top squad refreshed, keep them mentally there. Because it can be, I can imagine it's quite difficult as a player if you keep bumping up and down to keep yourself motivated. For me, I think Rotherham looks slightly better than they have in the previous times they've gone up. So for me, I'm putting this one again as a one-all draw. I think Reading will concede their second goal of the season, but have enough quality in the team just to get away with a point here. Yeah, I, ne I never bet Reading. Bet on Reading to win, so I'm going one-one as well. One-one. I think that it'll be a similar game to Wicker, but I think Rotherham have just that little bit more quality. We won't be able to break down, but Wickham. Did well for a long spell, and then we just managed to break them down to score. Hmm. Keeper should have done a lot better with that. That's yeah, safe. Uh, give us a, a bit more. You know, they'll hold out, hold out for a bit longer, and they're more of a threat up front. So uh, a one-one draw, I think. Mhm. Mm Alf, mate, you're from last week's goal fest to this week's snooze fest. Bloody hell, mate. Yeah, 
Last week we had two, three, three, one, three, two. This week we've gone one nils across the board. <laughs> no one's got getting into double figures here. Not yet. Not yet. We've got the big boys coming up. Well, right. The teams that are scoring goals faltered really midweek, so. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a difficult fixture list, isn't it? Because it's that balance of do you rotate, do you stick with the same team to keep the momentum going, something like Reading? Do you play the same start in eleven or do you have to bring in fresh bodies to keep things ticking over? Because fitness this year we I think we're gonna see towards the back end a lot of issues again with injuries because people are gonna end up pulling up because they just haven't had really a pre season and it's been back to back to back continually. So, if here's a question then for you both: If you were a manager, you've just come back up, you've just won your midweek game, your Brentford, your Watfords, your Reddings, do you change the starting eleven? No, I wouldn't. Never. I, I don't like disrupting winning sides. So even if you've won, though, does that mean the performance has been good? So then changing, you might have to change the team because your performance has been crap. But you still won. Winning breeds winning, and I would rather, if I was a manager, set out a continuous team that keep pulling results together. I don't care if they get that by a scruffy one niller from a corner, and they haven't played well. They've still won the game, and I, I don't think you reward players for winning a game by taking them out the next game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'm the same. We're both me and Alfie are both fallen from the the Coppola and McDermott school of football, and you, you don't change a winning team. I can't think of any time. Well, you can reel off both of those two teams, even these years later, because they just don't change. They're always consistent. Eventually, even if they don't play particularly well, they learn to play with each other. And yeah. I don't think eventually, if you keep a settled team, you know, in the end, I don't think, as long as they're not miles worse than everybody else in the league, eventually they'll get results, even if they aren't at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But no, you never pick a winning team. Unless injuries, unless you have to. Yeah, I don't know. You've, you said it earlier to me. Reading weren't particularly good against Wickham. That was a poor attacking performance. Why would you then play the same attacking players? When you know you've played poorly, you got a, a pretty lucky goal by all accounts. The keeper should have done a lot better and Jarrell's wrong-footed him. So why play the same attacking? Surely doing the same thing is the definition of insanity. If you the know you've not played well. The more play together under Paunovic and get the ideas together, the more they will continue to score goals and create chances. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, he hasn't really had chance to... I mean, he's had one free week of training, which was the international break. He said, what, do you know what I mean? There's a lot more to come. And these players, all of them react differently to change, to new tactics. If you get the same players on the pitch, then they begin to learn each other, what each other are doing, what each other... Do you know what I mean? How they play, how they react to the different situations. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's just thought-provoking. <laughs> Playing devil's advocate as per usual. Yeah. After Saturday snooze fest against QPR, QPR are looking to hopefully bounce back against Birmingham. They had a poor midweek performance against Preston, being comfortably beaten at home. They face a Birmingham side that has started to slow down after their positive starts of the season with back-to-back -back losses over the last week. What are we putting this one down to? I know I've mentioned about Warburton if he gets it right. 
At the moment, he's not. I think it was something ridiculous, like QPR have won seven of the last 49, I think it is, which is a ridiculously, just an absolutely awful record. Wow. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's not looking pretty there right now. Yeah, I mean... If he gets teams running, Wilburton is brilliant. You know, you know what I mean? You know you'll score goals under him. It's just whether the it clicks on the day. Yeah. And against Birmingham side, not in form, you know, I can see it clicking a little bit. I'm I'm going for a 2-0 QPR. 2-0 QPR. Stick our neck out on the line a little bit there. I've gone 1-1. I wrote down two solid, unspectacular sides to cancel each other out. That is not something I've heard Mark Warburton called solid. (laughs) He's anything but... but, Brilliant attacking football, don't get me wrong. That first season he came up, wonderful. But you knew the game was never going to end nil-nil. We'd rather win win 5-4 than lose 1-0. Oh, don't get me wrong, it was brilliant. And it worked for a bit. But the long term, it just doesn't work. You see how sour it went. It goes at Rangers. You can see how poorly it's going at QPR. It comes a point where Plan B might be needed, and you can't just keep banging your head against a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, why I mentioned about not always winning is doesn't mean it's a good performance level. So you know, someone like Wolverton adapting and changing your philosophy to try and get points maybe needed sometimes or even if you are winning maybe you need to change it up keep it fresh but for me i think this again i think we're going to see a low scoring weekend so i think i'm going to go for nil nil again i think both teams are lacking right now and neither neither are particularly solid but i think they'll just kind of batter each other out really and cancel each other out we go on to then for the next We've got one, two, three, four. We've got six more games for this weekend. Next one being Norwich versus Wickham. I think Norwich have way too much quality. A two, they're going to be too strong for this Wickham side, and I'm going three nil straight off the bat. I think Wickham, as long as, as if they can get their act together, they may have a chance of staying up this season. But the longer this run goes on where they don't win and don't score, it's just going to be a collision course, unfortunately, this season. Yeah, I've gone similar to you, but I've gone 2 0 Norwich rather than the 3. And I've gone 3 0 Norwich. Oh, see, we've all matched each other up again. You know, the only game we did matched each other last week, we all got 100% right, which was Brentford. So, you know, something about that. If we can do it this weekend, we'll be buzzing. Oh, so, so we touch on to it now with Mill versus Barnsley. So again, to, but Mill have a really good start. We haven't spoken about them at all this week on the podcast, but currently sat comfortably fifth in the table oh, and only one loss this season, which came against Swansea. Gary, is it Gary Wright? It is Gary Wright. Gary Wright's done a, good, done a really good job there. They've picked up, I think, fifth or fourth most points since his appointment. Those two sides were meant for each other. Rowett was meant to manage. Yeah, oh, you definitely you know. You look at teams and go, that that manager fits that. He fits them right there. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Works and it just works. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. They've come off the back of beating Wickham and Luton, so two teams you'd expect them to beat this season. Barnsley post a different challenge. Where do we see this one going? I see it as a 2 nil. Uh, 2 1, sorry, 2 1 mil. 2 1 mil. I think Barnsley will score, but I think Mill will have too much for them in the end. Mm hmm. I've gone 2-0 Millwall. 2-0 Millwall. See, I'm going to have to back my boys again, Barnsley. But just again, I think, like you said, Rowett and Millwall are a match made in heaven and I think they'll just have enough. I think it'll be a nice even game, but I think it will just be enough in the end and Millwall will nick this one 1-0 from a set piece. We now move on into the South Wales, where our Car Cardiff City facing Middlesbrough, and Warnock goes back to his old stomping ground. Mm. Warnock has a pretty successful time there, didn't he? And they'll be looking to get, hopefully get one over on his former employees. Middlesbrough started all right. Again, only one loss to their name, but goal-scoring-wise, it's been pretty poor with only five goals scored at this point in the season. Cardiff, on the other hand, have had an incredibly patchy start. Who have only currently with two wins, two draws, and two losses. So, and only five goals against scored this season. What do we make of these two teams then, and how do we see this one playing out? They're two very, very similar teams. And Harris plays similar to Warnock. They're both quite physical. You know, I don't want to say long ball because they're not always long ball, but they don't mind going direct. Obviously, Warnock's influence is still hanging over that, that club with as much of the squad being the same. So I've just got one one, just cancelling each other out. Mm -hmm. So what have you gone for? I've gone for a 1-0. Uh, no, sorry, 1-0. I don't... 1-0 yeah, one one... Cardiff, yeah? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1-0 Cardiff. I, I see Warnock parking the bus similar to what he did against Reading. Other than I think he'll do it from the start rather than have a go for the first 45 and accepting a point because like you say there is old employers and he wants to get a little something over him so yeah i see it as a 1-0 cardiff yeah it's an interesting one i just kind of see this like as master versus apprentice you know you've got warnock who was the pinnacle of grinding out results and he's at the very peak of his or end of his career sorry you then got harris who's slowly creeping back up on it and getting up to that level It'll be, you know, in a few years' time when Warnock retires and stuff and we look at the old-school managers, I think you're looking at it and Harris will be one of them. And of they set up to defend, be solid, nick a set-piece, your long throws. But for me, I think Cardiff, again, have probably got a stronger squad. No Warnock and the way he plays inside-out, so I think they've got the edge here. So I'm going 2-1 for this one. James, what were you feeling for this? Uh, I said 1-1. Oh, apologies, mate. I missed, didn't hear you. We go, we go into the back end then of Bristol, who still currently sits second, but have faltered in the last week with only, with only picking up one point out of a possible six. Are the wheels starting to fall off for Holden and the good form ending, or do we see them continuing their good form on Saturday versus Swansea? The M4 derby, isn't it? Is that what it'd be called? <laughs> it's much of a derby. Uh, Swansea's not on the M4, is it? Swan Swansea's uh, the M4. Cardiff on the M4, isn't it? Cardiff's on the M4, but it's Swansea's there or thereabouts. It's west of each other. In <laughs> Call it the hour derby. 
You can call it whatever you want. I don't think anybody else. But um, <laughs> or, uh, I went for a draw. I think there's a there's a decent squad there at Bristol City, and I don't think, yeah. I don't think they're going to challenge the automatic promotion. They might challenge again the top six, but and Swansea are a good side, who I think will be in the top six. But I just think at the minute, uh, Bristol aren't. You know, they're still riding a bit of the, the new manager wave, and I think they'll they'll get a decent point. Decent point. What have we gone for result wise there? Uh, 1 1. 1 1. Oof. I've also gone for a 1 1. I like Swansea. I think they've got a good side there. Good youngsters coming through. I like Grimes in the midfield. Yeah. Again, I'm with, I'm with James. I think still new manager. Do you know, yes, they faltered, but they're still second in the league table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, second best form over the seven games or whatever it is I think it's seven so yeah I've gone for a one-all yeah I, I disagree I think Swansea are the better long-term team here I think Bristol obviously have set, set off really well not really showing enough though to convince me that they're long-term challenges and going to stick up I think someone that will finish about 13th 14th and have a pretty unforgettable year in the end so for me, I've gone 2-0 Swansea. I think they've got a really good team there. I like Cooper as a manager. I think he's got a good way of playing. And I just see them being too good for this Bristol City team. Mm. The last one, we travel up into the Midlands now with Coventry versus Blackburn. Again, Blackburn have faltered in recent weeks after a really electric start to the start of the season. I know we spoke about Mowbray and the way he plays. So... What we let's get this one out of the way pretty quickly and move on to our last one. I think for me, I think Blackburn are too strong. I know they've been set back, but away from home, I think it will be tight. So I've gone a 2 1 away win for Blackburn. Yep, I've predicted the same as you, mate. I've gone for a 2 1. And I've oh. gone for a th- What was that, James, mate? Sorry, 3 1. 3 1. Yeah. Coventry are going to win this 1-0 now and we've not said anything about it and we're going to have a massive egg on our faces again but we can live with this (laughs) one team we haven't spoken about at all on this podcast today Huddersfield who quietly have been turning things around under their their new manager who joined them in the summer can't pronounce his name and I'm not going to butcher it and upset anyone but they've slowly turned it around after a slow start to the season. They're looking good. They're undefeated in four games. The style of play is coming along. You can see the similarities between himself and Bielsa. I think they're looking good. And against the Preston side, that has also seen slowed down a lot and seems to be struggling a bit with a lack of a front man. I don't know. I'm looking at this and thinking there's again another couple of points for Huddersfield here and that that puts them right back in the mix. So for me, I've gone for a 2-1 home win to Huddersfield. Mm. If anyone can pronounce his name, please be be my guest because I'm not even going to attempt it. I don't want to upset (laughs) upset half the audience. Carlos Corporan, isn't it? Yeah, it might be, mate. (laughs) Again, I'm not trying because I know full well what will happen. I've gone for 1-1. You've gone for a 1-1 here. I don't, yeah, there's something about Huddersfield this season. They just look 
They've looked good. I think mean, it's more about Preston, to be honest. I think they've just gone a bit stale under Alex Neal. I think sometimes the manager can be there for almost like too long, and they're always coming close and fading, close and fading. I just think it could be time that they have a bit of a shake-up for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, yeah, I think they were a bit like it went at Bristol, wasn't it? Where it eventually Lee Johnson slowed down quite a bit and players get bored. And at the end of the day, they are human. They just, players get tired. They don't want the same stuff, the same training. So is it potentially one come the end of the season that walks away? And Alf, we'll come to you finally, mate. What's our thoughts on Preston Huddersfield? Oh, this was one of the tougher games to call for me. Because, you know, both sides seem all right, I think is the way to describe it. They're all right. They're not going to set the world alight, but they're all right. So I've gone for a boring one all, to be honest with you. Two set piece goals, probably. I yeah. Just a, I don't think it'll be a game to remember. Put it that way. Oof. Okay, so one all. So there's our predictions for this week, and with that, we will be wrapping up the second episode of the Bees Analytica podcast. Thank you for all those that have supported, retweeted, liked, and listened over the last couple of days. It's been massively appreciated, and hopefully, we can keep these coming out weekly. So it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Thank you very much for listening. 